0: You're listening to an audio message from Harvest Bible Chapel in Granger, Indiana. For more information, visit our website at harvestgranger.org. My name is Tyler Holder, and I have the amazing privilege to be our director of adult ministries here at Harvest. And if you have your Bibles, let me encourage you to open them to 1 Samuel chapter 15. Now, as you're making your way to 1 Samuel chapter 15, just, I just want to take a quick survey. How many of you can remember youthful days when you were disobedient? Maybe yesterday, okay? I have a four-and-a-half-year-old son, and I feel like when I look at him, I see my disobedient traits more than anything else. He looks like my father-in-law. He has my last name, but more than anything else, when I look at Jax in the face, what I see is a little me, and I feel sorry for my parents, <laughs> over and over and over again. So when I look at Jackson, I talk to him, and I, and I try my best to um, shepherd his heart towards obedience. Time and time again, and I fail. In fact, the other day we were hanging out, and um, we had prayed, and he was getting ready for bed, and, and I had tucked him in, and, and I said, Jax, I love you, bud. It's time to go to sleep. We said our prayers. He's read." his Bible and I left his room and gone into mine put on my pajamas got in bed and out of nowhere my door opens and in runs not Jax but Hawkeye from the Avengers (laughs) he comes bolting into his room he knocks the arrow draws back and aims it at me and I immediately go Jax it's time to go to bed bud It's time for you to go back to your room. We don't want to get hit with an arrow. Do not shoot your mother and I. It's late. I've already tucked you in. And it's important to note that my wife has this um, amazing ability. If anything falls or drops or is swung or is thrown within 25 feet of her. It's amazing. amazing. It hits her. Um, She gets hit by lightsabers and arrows and balls and soccer balls and basketballs and baseballs and anything that is round or obtuse. She gets hit with it. So when it's late at night and I'm sitting in my bed wanting to go to sleep, the last thing I want is an arrow to be loosed in my direction and for me to be blind or for hit like a soft spot in my ribs and all of a sudden I got a cramp for a few days, it's the last thing I want. So Jack says this amazing thing and and I'm gonna be honest, I was a little jealous of his his ability to knock an arrow and loose it. So he, he aims at us, he looks and I can see his mind start to roll. And he's going, Dad said not to shoot him. And he comes and he lowers and he lets the arrow go. And I look at him, I said, Jax, bud, I told you not to do that. He smiles and runs off to his room. And man, we had a great laugh about that. My son's energetic and he's creative. He's crazy. If you come over to my home, you'll you'll get hit with something. There's a likelihood you will get hit with a Nerf arrow or whatever it might be. And that was funny. We love our son to death, but there's something a little bit deeper going on when Jack does that it's not just cute. It's not just fun. It's not just exciting. He doesn't just give me gray hair, although all of that's true. He's exhibiting traits of disobedience that run far deeper than anything else in his heart and in his soul. So as Hawkeye runs out of my room and as Janelle and I laugh, we begin to quickly see that we have a lot of work ahead of us. And if we're honest, we're more like my son than we want to admit. We possess the same traits of disobedience as my four and a half year old son does. You wanted me to shoot you with an arrow because you wanted to see if I would do it. Anybody? Anybody? I thought about it. (laughs) I thought, how far could I get it out there and not hit somebody? The crazy thing is, though, if we consider our own lives and we consider whether we obey or disobey, we make decisions each and every day. That's why you get speeding tickets. That's why your spouse gets upset with you. That's why your children cause you to go crazy sometimes. Because we have this innate ability and tendency to disobey. But when it comes to God's word, if we choose to disobey what God has shown us, the result will always be tragic. It won't be funny. And as you look at God's word over and over and over again, what you'll see is you'll see the story of God's people being clearly instructed to do something and they choose to disobey. And when they disobey, God acts. And as we get to 1 Samuel chapter 15, um, if you'll remember the last time we were together, we looked at 1 Samuel chapter three and a lot's happened in the corresponding 12 chapters. Samuel has gotten older. He has continued to be the prophet of Israel. He has embraced his commissioning, which has led him to confrontation. And he has shown throughout his tenure that he's committed to what God has said. So when we come to 1 Samuel chapter 15, what we see is we see Samuel coming to Saul. A king and it's interesting to note that Saul was the king not because God desired it Saul was the king because the people of Israel desired it against God's wishes so Samuel is coming to Saul and he is going to give him a clear command clear instruction from the Lord look at first Samuel chapter 15 but kill both men and women, child and infant, ox and sheep, camel and donkey. Let's just hit the brakes there for a second because you're probably asking a question and I wanna answer it before it gets out of control in your mind. The question you're probably asking is, why wouldn't God spare any of the Amalekites? Why is he telling Saul to destroy an entire nation? Now what we don't see, is that in Deuteronomy chapter 25, an amazing thing happened as the people of Israel are coming out of Egypt. The Amalekites are a people that have been warring against God since the beginning. And in Deuteronomy chapter 25, verses 17 through 19, what we see is the Amalekites attacking the Israelites in the rear of their procession, where the women, the children, the sick, and the feeble were. And God in his righteousness and in his judgment declares, I will wipe the nation of the Amalekites off the face of the earth for what they just did. It seems harsh to us, but it's for God's glory and it's for his just judgment that he's allowing Saul an opportunity to fulfill one of his promises. Look at verse 4. So Saul summoned the people and numbered them in lame 200,000 men on foot and 10,000 men of Judah. And Saul came to the city of Amalek and lay in wait in the valley. Then Saul said to the Kenites, go, depart, go down from among the Amalekites, lest I destroy you with them. For you showed kindness to all the people of Israel when they came up out of Egypt. So the Kenites departed from among the Amalekites. If we are going to pursue godly obedience, the first thing that we see here in 1 Samuel 15 is that we must listen to clear instruction. Samuel had given Saul clear instruction, right? There's no ambiguity. He didn't say, kind of do this and see how far it gets you. He said, no, go, destroy everything. You can't get much clearer than that. Sometimes though instructions can be hard to understand, Right? I remember when Janelle and I had been married just a a few years, sometimes I'm not the best with instructions, we saved up our money and we bought two things. We bought a kitchen table and we bought an entertainment system. Now we we bought it, but we didn't buy the plan where people can install it for you. Does anybody do that? I do that now. Here's why I do it now, because as I'm putting together the entertainment system, I'm screwing and I'm going as hard as I can. And to me, if it's not going easy, then I just need to go harder. Is anybody else like that? So I have a two-inch piece of wood and a three-inch screw, and I'm going, man. I am going to town, and I am misreading the instructions the whole way, and all of a sudden I hear a, man, that was a weird sound, and I look, and my force, because I'm not that strong, but I'm strong enough to go through plywood, had, like, shunted the bolt through the top of the entertainment system. Janelle comes in, she goes, did you not read the instructions? And my first response, instructions? Why would you do that? Literally, a few days later, I'm putting together the kitchen table. I got a chair, and at this point, we had realized I'm not the best at my hands. I'll hold the flashlight for you if you need it. And I'm going in. Man, I'm going hard. I'm going. I'm screwing. I'm going. I'm screwing. Same thing. If it's not going in easy, then I should just go harder. Boom. Out pops the back of the chair. That caused a lot of tears. And I'm looking, and I'm going, man, if only I had read the instructions. If only I knew enough to take my time. Sometimes instructions are hard to understand. Other times they're a little bit easier to understand but hard to follow. Sometimes instructions are easy to understand but hard to follow. I know that God tells me that I should hide his word in my heart so that I might not sin against him. I know that he declares, how can a young man keep his way pure? by hiding his word in my heart. I know that he has told me to not let the word of the Lord depart from my mouth, but to meditate on it day and night. Those are easy instructions, but it's hard to do. It's hard for me to do that. Over the past few months, I've seen that it's more and more difficult for me the busier I get to maintain a strict disciplined time with the Lord. I know what he's told me to do. I know that he's declared it for me. I know that I should do it. And it's gotten to the point that a friend of mine here at Harvest, we sat down one morning and he shared the same problem, he shared the same thing with me and we began to be accountable to one another to fulfill those easy instructions. And if I'm honest, I need that accountability, I need those reminders to recalibrate myself and align with what God has clearly given instructions to do. What about you? Are there moments, are there things, are there instructions that God has given you over this past week that are easy to understand but difficult to follow? If you've been around harvest the past seven days, you've heard a lot of clear instruction. Last Sunday, husbands heard that they should nourish and cherish their wives. How has that been going the past seven days? If you come to our Wednesday morning men's Bible study, men heard that they should embrace servant leadership. How is that going? If you've come to our Wednesday night Bible study or our Thursday morning Bible studies as a lady, you have heard that you should take up the shield of faith. Last Sunday night, our collegiate community gathered and they heard that they should flee sexual immorality. How is that going? Our junior high and senior high students gathered on Wednesday to hear that they should have a clear, effective, meaningful time with the Lord. You've been given clear instructions. Are you listening? Are you obeying? Sometimes clear instructions are hard to follow. Sometimes a heart of disobedience wars against us. What clear instruction has God given you that you have yet to follow? Not only must we listen to clear instruction, but we have to understand that we won't be satisfied with partial obedience. If 1 Samuel 15 ended at verse 7, we would applaud Saul. We would get so excited that Saul finally got it. That he didn't make an an idiot of himself again. That he didn't disobey what God had clearly told him to do as he had done time and time and time again. But it doesn't end in verse 7. Instead what we see is we see someone that is in being enticed and entertaining sin instead of their obedience to God. We see Saul being tempted to do something that God has clearly told him he shouldn't do. In verse 9, what we see is we see the temptation towards partial obedience come when Saul turns his perspective from a, horizontal, or from a vertical perspective to a horizontal one. Look at verse 9. But Saul and the people spared Agag, and the best of the sheep, and of the oxen, and of the fattened calves, and of the lambs, and all that was good, and would not utterly destroy them. All that was despised and worthless, they devoted to destruction. Saul and the people, they had heard God's clear instruction. They saw the wealth and the plenty of the Amalekites though and they thought God made a mistake. Because wouldn't God want the best of the best to come to us? Why would we destroy everything that's good and pleasant to my eyes? They took their sight off the Lord and they began to look around and say, this stuff looks better than what I have. So clearly God made a mistake. That temptation is still around, though. That temptation is still around and haunting us today. The temptation to hear God's clear command, yet think that what we are pursuing and what we have in front of us is too great to pass up. We hear God's clear command for us as fathers to raise our families well, but the promotion at work is too great for me to pass up. Or as a student, we have the temptation over and over again to cheat and to lose our integrity, but it's because college is so important. Or as a young man, we have the temptation over and over again to indulge in sexual immorality, but God is telling us, no, I know what's better for your future, please flee. That temptation over and over and over again raises its ugly heads in our lives. But understand that when we partially obey, we're still guilty of full disobedience. When we we partially obey, we're still guilty of full disobedience. Partial obedience is dangerous. When we look at God's word and we see it's clear instruction to us and we choose to obey parts of it, what we're doing is we're telling God that we're smarter than he is. When we have conviction over our sins, but we choose to overlook it, what we're doing is, is we're quieting the Holy Spirit. As a teenager, when we disobey our parents, what we're doing is going against what God has clearly instructed us to do. And as parents, when you see your children disobey, your heart breaks. How much more so does God's heart break when he sees his children disobey? Disobedience is a dangerous thing. In verse 10, the Bible tells us that the word of the Lord came to Samuel. It's similar to what we saw in chapter 3. And again, Samuel is contrasted against Saul. We see Samuel as the one who has been pursuing the Lord, who has been communing with the Lord, who has been listening and obeying what God has told him to do. And the Lord makes an amazing statement in verse 11. He says, I regret. And that word's only used one other time in the Bible. Where do you think it was used? If you immediately went to Genesis 6, you were right. If I had a prize, I'd give it to you. I don't have a prize, though, so I'll just smile at you really good. (laughs) Great job. Genesis chapter 6. God uses that exact same word when he looks at humanity right before the flood and says, I regret that I made humanity. God has the same amount of regret towards Saul that he did towards all of his creation because of sin at this moment. How much would it stink to be Saul, right? How much would it stink to be Saul? God possesses immense regret because of Saul's rejection of his clear command. But nothing short of strict obedience to the Lord's instructions was acceptable. He wouldn't settle for anything less. And anything less produced grief in heaven and pain and loss on earth. But please do not miss this characteristic or this trait of God. When God says he regrets that he made Saul king, it's showing us a glimpse into God's heart. The fact that God cares enough about you and about me to regret a decision. The fact that God cares enough to lead his people well shows us that our God is a loving, just, amazing, beautiful God. And his desire is for us to obey, not to live in disobedience. Saul's disobedience led to an inflation of his pride. In verse 12 what we read is Saul after his victory against the Amalekites goes down to Carmel and sets up a monument to whom? Himself. That gives us a perspective into Saul's heart. Saul right after an amazing victory given to him by the Lord doesn't celebrate the Lord. Who does he celebrate? Himself. Because of his disobedience, he has an inflated pride. And pride is a dangerous thing. Has pride ever tempted you to draw attention to yourself like Saul does here? Has pride reared its ugly head and been inflated because you thought you knew better? It has in my life. It absolutely has in my life. So we see Saul setting up a monument to himself. We see Samuel responding to the Lord's declaration that he is regretting that Saul is king. And look in verse 13. And Samuel came to Saul and Saul said to him, blessed be you to the Lord. I have performed the commandment of the Lord. And Samuel said, hmm, I I feel like that should be added. Hmm, hmm. What then is this bleeding of the sheep in my ears and the lowing of the oxen that I hear? And Saul said, hmm, again, hmm. They have brought them from the Amalekites for the people spared the best of the sheep and of the oxen to sacrifice to the Lord your God and the rest we have devoted to destruction. Then Samuel said to Saul, stop. (laughs) Foul, stop. I will tell you what the Lord said to me this night. And he said to him, speak. And Samuel said, though you are little in your own eyes, are you not the head of the tribes of Israel? The Lord anointed you king over Israel and the Lord sent you on a mission and said, go devote to destruction the sinners, the Amalekites and fight against them until they are consumed. Why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord? The next thing we see, if we're going to pursue radical, godly obedience, is that we won't rationalize and cover my sin. I love Samuel's astonishment at what Saul just said. In verse 13 and 14, when Saul's there and he says, oh, wait, wait, blessed be you. Man, God has done great things. I've done what he's commanded. And Samuel's, wait, 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 wait time out. What are these bad bads of the sheep and these moo-moos of the oxen? It's kind of like when I look at my kids and I say, hey, did, did you guys just eat all the candy I told you not to? And then Jack smiles at me with that chocolate slobber smile. You know what I'm talking about? And it just starts to drip and he goes, but baby girl told me to do it. Man, that's still disobedience, bud. I love that Samuel's response is, how can you say, You have followed his command. I'm looking at what God told you to destroy. There it is. Saul contradicts himself here within two sentences. In verse 13, he declares that he has performed the commandment of the Lord. And then in verse 15, he says, but they have brought them from the Amalekites For the people spared the best of the sheep and of the oxen to sacrifice to the Lord your God, and the rest we have devoted to destruction. Hear me, when we disobey God's clear instruction, we have the tendency to rationalize and cover. Because it's easier for us to shirk responsibility than to take ownership of our sin. It's easier for us to put it on somebody else than to embrace the consequences will say things like, it's not my fault I cheated, their test was right in front of me. It's not my fault I looked at pornography, culture bombards me every day and I'm just a man. It's not my fault I went ballistic on my children, have you seen them? And over and over and over again, we rationalize and we cover our disobedience. In fact, here in 1 Samuel 15, Saul does it four different times. In verse verse 13, he says, I perform the commandment of the Lord. He's using the words of the Lord to cover his disobedience. In verse 15, he blames the people. In verse 20, he blatantly lies. And in verse 21, he shifts the blame. But these rationalizations aren't far from what I do, and probably from what you do on a weekly basis. The area in my life that I'm most apt to rationalize my disobedience is within my relationship with my wife. Now, Janelle's super long-suffering. She lives with me. She's got to be. we got two kids. It's crazy. And there are moments, there are days in my marriage when I sin against my wife. And she is gracious and kind and beautiful and loving. And when she says, I think that was just A sin against me, what is my first response? Come on, sweetie, it's been a rough day. Or, babe, I think you're reading into it. Or, really, Jack's made me frustrated. Instead of saying, you know what, sweetheart, you're right. I'm sorry. Will you forgive me for that? Instead of rationalizing and covering my own sinfulness, I need to have a heart of reconciliation and repentance. Where in your life have you rationalized and covered your sinfulness? Is it within your relationships with your spouse, with your children, with your coworkers? What is it that you're rationalizing and covering? Disobedience is dangerous. Don't rationalize and cover your sin. If you are trapped In the rationalization of disobedience, hear me say that the beautiful thing is that you don't have to stay there. You don't have to stay there. Pursue forgiveness and reconciliation. Look at verse 18 with me. And the Lord sent you on a mission and said, Go, devote to destruction the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they are consumed. God gives Saul an explicit mission. It begins with clear instruction in verse 1. Here's what you are to do. And in verse 18, Samuel is telling Saul, God gave you something specific. He told you what to do. He gave you a clear mission with clear instructions. And yet, you disobeyed. You rationalized, you covered, you allowed pride to interfere, you took your eyes off of the Lord and looked at what was around you and decided that that was greater than God. God likewise has given us a, a mission as well. He has given us a mission to go and make disciples of all nations, but we can so easily rationalize away our fervency to complete this mission just like Saul does. How are we doing? How are we doing at completing the mission that God has given us? Is Granger better because harvest is here? Do your neighbors know that you have a mission from the Lord? Better yet to your children. Or if I were to sit down with them across the table and say, hey, what's the mission of your family? What are your parents pursuing? Is their first response gonna be their own sports, their own prominence? Or is it gonna be they're pursuing the Lord? And I don't get it sometimes, but, man, it's really exciting when they do it. God's given us a mission. He's given us clear instructions. Go make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Be on mission. Live life in such a way that people see the gospel. Be vocal about the gospel. He's given us a clear mission. How are we at doing it? Don't be like Saul. Who views horizontal perspectives greater than that of a vertical perspective with God look at verses 22 and 23 and Samuel said has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord behold to obey is better than sacrifice and to listen than the fat of Rams for rebellion is as the sin of divination and presumption is as iniquity and idolatry because you have rejected the word of the Lord. He has also rejected you from being king. The last thing we see if we're to pursue godly obedience is that we will not substitute religious sacrifice in place of obedience. God desires obedience to the mission he has given us to fulfill. Our natural tendency, though, just like Saul, is to desire religious sacrifice in place of obedience. Remember what Saul did. Saul devoted everything that was worthless and defiled to the Lord and took the best of the best for himself. And so did the people. And only when he's caught does he say, oh, yeah, I guess we were going to give some of that to God anyways. Our natural tendency is to pursue religious sacrifice in place of obedience. Saul's perspective was that regardless of what God had commanded him to do, it would be okay because he had saved some of the best of the best to sacrifice to God. Obedience is what God desires, not sacrifice. Simple obedience to what we know God is asking is far greater than the greatest sacrifice. A simple, obedient heart is far greater than the biggest offering and tithe you can give. Simple obedience to what God is calling you to do is far greater than the amount of service you provide to harvest. Simple obedience to what God has given us in his word to complete is far greater than any religious practice or any religious sacrifice you and I could ever make. Why? because no sacrifice measures to Christ's, and that's what compels us and that's what's life-changing and that's what God has desired and has watchman Ni, a Chinese believer in the early 20th century made this amazing statement watchman he says he looks neither at the aggregate of fat nor at the number of burnt offerings but solely at the sum of obedience to him You and I are on an equal playing field when it comes to obedience with God. I am no more elevated than you. Neither is Pastor Trent, neither are any of our elders. When it comes down to it, God desires our obedience more than He desires our service and our sacrifice. Look at verse 23. For rebellion is as... The sin of divination and presumption is as iniquity and idolatry because you have rejected the word of the Lord. He has also rejected you from being king. We see our obedience to God's word as what he desires. And our obedience to God's word means four different things. One, if we are to be obedient to God's word, it means that we must trust God's word. The fact that Saul was rejected because he rejected God's word means that God's word is more valuable than anything else. And if we are to obey, and if we are to have a radical godly obedience, then we must root it in God's word. So one, we must trust in God's word. Two, we must take action from God's word. We must read it and desire it and consume it and do it. You must have communion with God in his word. As I sit down and as I read and as I allow God's word to fill my mind and my soul and my heart, I must pursue communion with God in his word. And finally, I must be devoted to God's word. Because God desires our obedience far more than he desires our sacrifice. How are we doing that with that this morning? This morning we have really a a choice to make. A decision as to whether we'll be obedient or disobedient. A decision as to whether we'll follow what God has clearly instructed us to do or we'll continue to try and do it our own way. And this morning there's a high likelihood that there's one of three types of people in here. The first type being those that made it to harvest today at 8 a.m. and you have no idea what the word of the Lord is or what it commands. It's impossible for you to obey God's word if you don't know God. It's impossible. But hear me, that doesn't give you a pass. It doesn't give you a pass. God is calling you to hear his word, to repent of your sins, to place your faith in Christ and to believe in him. There's those here this morning that have come to harvest and and just like Saul, you know the word of the Lord, but you have chosen to be disobedient. You have chosen to live a life of disobedience. And God is calling you to repent of your sinfulness and return to your true love. To repent of the disobedience that is so rife in your heart. Please do not let the word of God fall on deaf ears. Do not let the word of God fall on deaf ears anymore. Hear what he is commanding you to do. Hear the instruction that he is giving you. It's clear. It's concise. It's to the point. It's right there. Hear God's word and respond. Don't live in disobedience anymore. The third group that could be here this morning would be those that have heard the word of the Lord and that you do what it says. That's amazing. That's amazing but don't become complacent. And know that it's the work of the Holy Spirit in your life that is allowing you to do that. And draw others along with you. It's far easier for somebody to step back into obedience through accountability than it is on their own. So this morning, are we listening to clear instruction? Are we repenting of partial obedience? Are we running away from rationalizations and covering our own sin? And are we pursuing obedience instead of religious sacrifice? I hope this morning that you'll hear God's word and that it'll impress upon your heart the desire to obey because our God is a loving, just beautiful God who desires your obedience more than he desires your service or sacrifice and if you've never responded to the Lord in that way let me invite you as we pray and as we sing come now talk to one of our elders, talk to one of our pastors, let us further unpack what it means to follow God if you've been living a life of disobedience repent of that Place your burdens to, to the just, just give it all to the Lord. Father, we pray and ask that you would reveal in us where we have been disobedient. That our hearts would be sensitive to your word and to your moving, and that, Lord, our pride wouldn't be inflated to the point where we shirk it off anymore. Father, I pray for the men and women that are here that their lives would be more reflective of obedience than disobedience, that they would realize and remember over and over again that you desire our obedience more than the greatest sacrifice that we can ever offer. Father, we love you. Amen.